Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. I'm your host, Heather Stark, and today we're talking about stressed by a coworker. Who hasn't experienced this? But I also think that we experience a lot of stress from our supervisors and perhaps by those people we supervise. The idea that coworkers can drive us nuts is not a new one. And my guest, uh, Louise Penberthy, is here. She's a mediator, program coordinator, and a person who is passionate with curiosity about people. Welcome, Louise. Thank you. It's good to be here. What, what led me to you is an article you wrote about stressed by a coworker. And what led you to write that? Why, what, what, what brought you to that point where you wrote that article and had it published? The first time I noticed what I eventually came to call idiopathic mutual irritation was early on in my mediation career when I had these two people who'd had, who didn't know each other well. And people who know each other well often know how to bother each other, how to get under each other's skin, how to you know, poke other people's points. And these two didn't know each other very well. But they seem to have this very strange antagonism towards each other. So I, during a private conversation with the woman, I, and a private conversation in mediation is called a caucus, I said, um, like, did you guys, did you and he date or something? And she said, no, did he tell you that? Oh, my God, no. I said, no, 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 sorry, I just... <laughs> There was there was no often ob- obvious reason, and I saw this multiple times, and I have experienced it myself. And finally, I, I, have I just have yeah yeah most people have, and so I finally had to give it a name, and I called it idiopathic from the medical term meaning without known cause, and I called it mutual because it's the two people can't they can't get along, but they won't leave each other alone. Huh. Yeah, isn't that funny? I've experienced that where a person makes me absolutely insane, and yet, and, and I've had my children say, "Why do you t- keep taking her calls? Why do you keep doing this with her?" I don't know. She makes me insane, and yet there I am. Why do we do that? Now at work, you don't really have a choice. I mean, you have to be around the people that work in your workplace or that you need to do jobs with. Um, But just for friends, we could just say, you know what, ain't working, bye. But we don't do it. Is it the same dynamic? I don't know. It it is so hard to explain. Um, I I think it has to do with, uh, in, in movies, for example, we all know pairs of actors who seem to have really good chemistry. They're just something about them that really clicks well. I think that idiopathic mutual irritation is the opposite. It's a kind of negative chemistry, and the person bothers us so much, it's like an um, uncomfortable clothing or an itch that we just can't help wanting to scratch to try to alleviate. Huh. So we yeah. yeah so we just we just do keep we, doing do it. Do we think we can change them? Do we think that somehow or other that that dynamic will change if we just keep pursuing it? Oh, gosh. From, in my, from my mediation work and from some of my experiences in the workplace, I would say we don't necessarily think we can change other people. We just think that if we put them down enough and criticize them enough and try to get the last word, they'll shut up and go away. 
<laughs> yeah, but that never works, does it? <laughs> no, and it doesn't. Always... Unless, unless you offend somebody so much that they start avoiding you or ignoring you. But in the workplace, that can lead to problems if you have to work with somebody and also complaints to HR and other nasty things. So, that's, yeah, yeah, that's different. Uh, but, and I'm thinking, you know, like in personal relationships, you know, that there it reaches a tipping point, does it not? I mean, there are some people who are just so nasty that they get their way no matter what. I don't care whether it's legal arbitration, whether it's in the workplace. I've worked in workplaces where there was one person who was just insane, you know, and her demands and her, you know, picking at other people. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And if you went to the boss and complained, the boss wanted you to accommodate because she was too much of a pain in the neck. The boss didn't even want to deal with her. It's easier to get you to change. So is there a point at which this, these people, you know, can cross over a line and they do get their way? They do get what they want because they're so nasty and nobody wants to deal with it? Right. Yes. First of all, absolutely. Yes. There is a point where that goes beyond. And, and I have my own story of workplace bullying. I think, unfortunately, we we all do. But what I'm talking about idiopathic mutual irritation is just to the level of irritation with another person who's equally irritated with you. And what puzzles other people, one thing that can puzzle other people is that these two people who are mutually irritated like this, they might get along just fine with everybody else. It's just this particular pair of people that don't work together well. So if we're talking about or don't work together well or don't get along well, if we're talking again about something outside of the workplace. So in when it comes okay. to... Yeah. Sorry? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to pop in with a question, but finish your thought. <clears throat> when it comes to people who are uh, abrasive or bullying or nasty whatever words they would describe the person you were talking about or a, a bully that I knew in the workplace, that is somebody that very few or no people get along with. And it's because it, to, to be as fair as possible, it is sometimes a cause, caused by different personal styles. I, I mediated a, a case once with a man who said, I'm from New York, Tali M. She the person, a former employee who was uh, suing him, she just has to deal with it. This is how I am. And in private, I said to him, well, you know, you're in Seattle now. Have you thought, it, does this, does your, do other people notice that your behavior doesn't quite fit? Do you, have you thought of other ways that might work for you? No, no, he was adamant. He was New York, and that's just how he was, and he didn't give a crap about Seattle or how Seattleites were. Even though... Every time he talked to this, this woman, this former, former employee of his, he said something so unkind that she started crying. And now granted, she was a little bit, she hadn't yet created for herself enough independence of emotional, of emotional life. So she wasn't able to just look at him as if to say, what is wrong with you? Why are you trying to be such a bully? But she would cry. But even though I asked this man, I said, have you, you don't like it when she cries if you thought about treating her differently so she won't cry so you'll be happier. Nope. He was New York and that was all there was to it. Huh, With that's that kind of arrogance, isn't it? Sorry? 
that's kind of an arrogance because I, 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 I think there are regions mm-hmm. that have a, a certain regional arrogance about them that they are fine and if you don't if they go somewhere else but they don't fit in it's your problem not theirs Exactly, exactly. And I think equally a Seattleite who goes to New York would do well to fit in with the style there. It would feel awkward, and you'd have to get used to it. But, you know, I think people should fit in where they go. Run and run um, kind of thing, huh? Yeah. So so when it comes to people who are just downright nasty, sometimes it's because of something normal and understandable like uh, different conversational or interpersonal styles from different parts of the country or the world. But then there's the people like this uh, man I worked with once some years ago. He was from uh, Atlanta, where I actually lived, though I worked with him in, in a company in Baltimore. And he was real nice, good old boy to everybody at his level in the company and above, but to everybody below... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is. Yeah, you, it sounds like you know what I'm talking about. So the, the, yes, yes, and and then if you complain, you're complaining to who? The people that he's nice to, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and they don't believe it. And I didn't know how to deal with him, so I I hated working with him, and nobody would stand up to him. At, at all, but he would push and push and push until he got his way. So that when it come, when two people just don't like each other and won't leave each other alone, that can be annoying in meetings, just trying to work together. But when it comes to one person who behaves in a way that is unacceptable to a large population, uh, say in a workplace, that is when. HR should step in. Now, HR. I would think that's easier. I'm sorry. I would think that I would think that that scenario is easier, not only for the workplace but for a resolution. Is when one person is, you know, getting not getting along or behaving poorly in front of several people. I would think it's much stickier and much more difficult to come to a resolution if it's one-on-one kind of thing. Uh, well, there might be a greater case to make. You know, you can say person X doesn't get along with anybody on the team. You know, person mm-hmm. X is distracting to everybody. Although I worked on a team once where there was somebody like that, and she was a good enough developer that uh, that nobody did anything about it. Her 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 behavior wasn't actionable from an HR sense. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to two people, I don't know that I've I've ever successfully seen that dealt with in the workplace. Mostly if it's two people sniping at each other, everybody just rolls their eyes and continues with what they're doing. Although I have sometimes in mediations said to people, I've observed this phenomenon. I think you guys might be suffering from it. It doesn't mean either of you is wrong or a bad person. It just means you guys don't get along well with each other. And when I put it like that, usually they'll relax and it won't solve the problem, but they'll be able to work better together. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, most people are reasonable. Um, but you do have people who are not reasonable. Um, yeah. And at, at what point is it a problem between two people 
problem for the workplace. Do you understand what I'm asking? Yes, yes, I think so. And for a better answer to that question or a more full one, you might want to, if you haven't already, talk to someone uh, for the HR from the HR point of view for this. But mm-hmm. say if I'm with if I'm in a team and there's two people that don't get along and are sniping with each other, I might talk to our if we have a team lead as opposed to say a self-organizing team, talk to the team lead and and say look, these two people don't get along and it's making our work hard. Can somebody do something? Or I have people, I might have people that I work with say, make complaining remarks about one particular person and I might just say, well, you know, I think maybe they misunderstood you in this particular discussion you had or maybe, you know, you guys are from different backgrounds or something like that. Um, when it starts to detract from a team being able to do its work, if the, if the team starts uh, slipping deadlines or the quality of their mm-hmm. work suffers because of this, uh, that's or, or it, when it becomes, comes to a point where somebody feels intimidating, not intimidated, not wanting to come to meetings, not wanting to cooperate fully with the team, especially with the other person, anytime it impacts the bottom line and the output of the team, then that's something that that has to be addressed. As as to who addresses it, that depends, of course, on who will address it. Ideally, the the manager should take each of them aside and and talk to them about it and ask them to ease up on each other. Um, And this is assuming that neither of them is being overtly rude or threatening in a way that's more than just interpersonal kind of bickering or sniping. Okay, that's that's a different issue. That should go straight to HR. Um, but if it's just two people not getting along, then ideally the manager should take them aside and and ask them what's going on and ask them to just leave each other alone if they can't get along. Do what they need to do together to work well together. Other than that, just leave each other alone. Uh, other people on the team in a in a self-organizing team, for example, like in in agile frameworks in Scrum or in Kanban. That's something that could be handled by the team. The team, one of the team members, could say, "You guys snipe all the time. Stop it." Or, "How about if we have a no sniping meeting or a no uh, irrita- no irritability meeting? Let's just talk." Or they, if they have a, a coach, like a scrum master, they might that person might coach the group through different ways of communicating. Um, so it seems to me that we're talking about two different levels of uh, stress from coworkers. One is a level that's annoying and that needs to be dealt with just individual to individual. Another level that's pretty destructive and that requires some higher level intervention. Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. When I was talking about idiopathic mutual irritation, I was talking about stuff that doesn't go to the level of needing, uh, usually need, certainly not needing HR to intervene. Um person who irritates you and they irri- you irritate them and you can't figure it out. Um, it, well, it's also... Right. Go ahead. It's, I think that's interesting because I think we live in an, in an environment, in an era, when if anything bothers us, if anything annoys us, we tend to think that everybody has to change so that we're not annoyed. Um, I, I, I used to work in an office where one person had a service dog, another person did not want that dog. 
And so the huge fuss, huge, huge fuss and huge to do and, you know, because that person didn't want that dog there. Well, that the other person with the service dog had a right to have that dog there. But because the other one was annoyed by it, huge fuss, you know, complaints all the time, you know, that kind of thing. And I see that a lot. It's like if it bothers me, then by gummy, you need to stop it. Mm. There's no such thing as, well, it bothers me, so I'll just keep my head down and my mouth shut. That, that, you're not <laughs> supposed to do that anymore. Have you, if, do you see that at all, or is that just my, my, my select group of, of coworkers? <laughs> um, I guess it depends a lot on, on the, the workplace, but one thing I, I do notice is that I've worked with some people who don't seem to understand that not everybody in the world shares their experience and their opinion. Um, you know, uh, especially as a mediator with so many years of experience of hearing and trying to understand really different perspectives on the same event or set of events, just about anything anybody does now, no matter how irritating I find it, I can pretty much find a reason why they might have done it. This seemed perfectly reasonable to them at the time. Um, that when it comes to something like someone not being able to have a service dog, uh, that might be a time for someone to HR to take them aside and say, look, the service dog is permitted in the workplace. We can mitigate the problem to you, but um, deal with it in, in, in polite yeah. human resources speech. <laughs> but but just, yeah. just deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have learned, you know, in the in the work I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm working as a program coordinator for a uh, a research arm of the University of Washington, and there's one coworker who drives me nuts in a good many way, but I in a good many ways, but I just I just breathe and smile and nod, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I um I have this uh, I gave a talk related to this two weeks ago, and one of the things I suggest to people that works well for me um, is to have some visualization that I can call up at a moment's notice that helps me through stressful situations. So me, given that I grew up in Seattle, I imagine that I'm Mount Rainier, because Mount Rainier is big and stable and calm, and it's been there for forever and ever, and it really doesn't give a crap about the squirrel chattering at the foothills, right? So I imagine imagine that I'm Mount Rainier, and usually I have enough, um, you know, calmness and so forth that I can make it through the conversation with somebody and then I, I just, there are a lot of things that I simply don't complain about unless it comes to the point of, say, someone being chronically late and not getting their work done and that affects my work. Then at some point I would might take uh, my supervisor aside and say something about it. But, of course, when it comes to workplaces, and earlier you mentioned talking about if you don't get along with a supervisor or your supervisor doesn't get along with you or you don't get along with someone you supervise, that, of course, in the workplace, you can't always tell who is favored by 
um, by someone in power in the workplace. And sometimes you can, right? You can tell that person X, like the, the bully that I was talking about who is charming to the, uh, the C-suite, you know. Or, or say, let's take, take another case that, that I, I worked on where it turned out that one of the parties, one of the people in the mediation had one of the very high-level people in the company really liked her and wanted to help her and wanted to further her career uh, to a level that I'm not sure that she deserved, but it might, there might have been more to her that I just didn't find out. But in the workplace, of course, you've got to be careful about politics. Yeah, and, yeah you do. Yeah. So sometimes there are things I don't talk about just because I don't know who will... Uh, if I complain, who I might be offended or who mm-hmm. might uh, then look differently at me, for example. Exactly, exactly. I I know that, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to think in workplaces. I think the workplace where um, the lady had such egregious behavior and, the, and our, our immediate supervisors, um, the, anybody over her head was thousands of miles away. Um, so that immediate supervisor did not want to deal with this difficult person. And so it was always, well, I know you're, she's, you know, you're upset because she's doing such and such. Can you just do this, this, and this and ignore her? Or can you just do this, this, and this instead of actually going to the woman and saying, you need to stop it because the woman was so egregious in her behavior. I mean, she, I mean, she would pull out all the stops to get her way. Um, and, we really were left with nothing. And my situation, as far as getting any kind of help to resolve the situation, my relationship with the immediate supervisor was one that was fairly friendly. And I would always just make a joke of it. I'd say, well, I saw, you know, Susie throw a pencil and a book at one of the other employees today. You know, I, I sure hope I'm here when the lawsuit comes because I want to see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I would just, you know, kind of, uh, I guess let her know that uh-uh, I'm not going to think that this is acceptable. But as long as she's but and but it was an interesting thing because when I first started working there, I was very vulnerable, just going through a divorce, blah 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 blah, and that woman just made my life a living hell. But then as a couple of years passed and I became stronger and you know, she she backed off, she backed off uh, of me. And started looking for somebody more vulnerable, which I guess is—I guess that's kind of typical of these kinds of people, right? They look for a person. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't necessarily want to go to somebody who's just as strong and, and as they are, um, which may be why you have your your idiot. Uh, I'm going to try and say it correctly: idiopathic mutual irritation. Maybe those people are in a personal power level that is comparable. So nobody has anything, any leg up on the other one, and maybe that annoys them. <laughs> maybe it's either easier to deal with if you if you have a little bit, you know, more seniority or a little bit more favor with the boss or a little bit, you know, maybe maybe those kinds of personality conflicts are easier to deal with when the power is subtly different and either side can say, well, you know, it's not going, it's not going to do me any good to not like this because this person has more power than I do. Is that, that I know that sounds like mm. a real leap here, but, but that's how I kind of picture it, that once you have a certain level of power, and, and I see it, say that, as, you know, not just 
power designated to you by position or whatever, but also just mm-hmm. personal power, your sense of power, that mm-hmm. that must make it a little bit a different dynamic. Does that have anything to do with your mutual um, mutation? Yeah, well, the, um, you mentioned earlier like about supervisors and idiopathic mutual irritation between a supervisor and someone they supervise can have the same personal dynamic, but the consequences are a lot more serious if the supervisor will then take out their irritation on the per, per their irritation at the person in ways that their situational power, their organizational power allows them to. When it comes to marginalizing someone on a team, for example, or when it comes to negative performance reviews because the supervisor doesn't like the person and finds them irritating, um, usually when people have this feeling of mutual irritation, they they don't know what to attribute it to, which is why it's often helpful when I point it out to people when I'm mediating. Uh, then people usually relax. Otherwise, people want to find a reason for it. They're, they're searching for some explanation. So they might say, that person doesn't know what they're doing. That person is a terrible marketer. That person uh, is, is immature. That person is socially dumb. That person's an idiot from New York or whatever. Uh, they find mm-hmm. some explanation for it. And if I can explain to people that, no, it, it's just something that sometimes happens between people, it's no big deal, then that can take, that, that can alleviate some of the problems, certainly as far as the, the duration of the mediation is concerned. But then when it comes to supervisors and power, that's when there can be another level of problems that have, can have serious consequences for the person they're supervising. Then when okay. it comes, of course, the other way around, because you talked about you had your supervisor didn't like dealing with that woman, the book and pencil throwing woman, right? Yes. And uh-huh. yeah, and there was a, a place I worked in. Oh, I mentioned earlier about a woman I worked with who was a good developer, but nobody on the team really liked her. And she, we were in cubicle land, and she something wasn't going right. She would swear loudly, so it flowed all over our section of cubicles, and you know all the words that you would bleep out for a radio show, right? I think you never said the F word, but it was a lot of, God damn it. So there'll be some bleeps there, but that kind of thing. It really drove people nuts. But in that case, our supervisor was like your supervisor. He didn't want to deal with her. He didn't know what to do with her. He didn't know what to say to her. So he just tried to have really nice conversations with her and try to make her nice. I didn't. (laughs) It, it, it and didn't how work. did that work? They, yeah, I mean, it didn't work at all. The Dr. Film thing, and how is that working for you? <laughs> How's that working? Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, did, it didn't work at all. Um, well, of course not. Uh, but I, do, when, when we're talking, and, I, and I'm kind of, you know, like on this little balance beam between, in our conversation here, because, you know, when we're talking about this idiopathic mutual irritation I'm trying to in my mind I'm thinking okay mutual that means that they both are comparable they're both you know but this can happen when there is that power differential because you said that it can happen between a, a supervisor and, an, and a supervisee right mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah it, so, can, it can happen be right it can happen between any set of people 
and just be idiopathic mutual irritation. And it's more when there's a supervisor supervisee because of power and reluctance to deal with a problem employee. Yeah. Do I think most I think most supervisors arrive in their position with very little training, interest, or ability to actually supervise people. I I think when we encounter a supervisor who actually knows what they're doing, can do it well, that's a rarity. Is that just my jaded uh, personal experience or <laughs> no, especially in the in a in a programming and, and software development field, what often can happen is that somebody is promoted to being a manager who's a really good programmer, and that's the only way to advance. And mm -hmm. a lot of programmers and software developers make horrible managers, and they don't really want to be managers. Yeah, but yeah. If, if that's and the only way to advance. Yeah, so they what I I like one of my neighbors in my building, he works for he works for Google now and he's a uh technical program manager and he's a developer who and he likes it. He likes being a program manager. But mm -hmm. a lot of devs don't and a company is is better off if it will find uh advancement tracks for software developers that does not involve management. They can be uh, technical experts. They can be dev leads. They can lead a team of developers without being managers of those developers. So you know, there, are, there are certain kinds of people who don't want to be supervisors or, and certainly not managers. And if the company has a way to provide them an alternative track, then that's, that's a great thing. But yeah, there was a, a a woman where I work who was promoted a supervisor in um, April and only was able to take the training for supervisors that the University of Washington offers this month. Um, and that is a long time for someone to go without the kind of training that would help them be a good supervisor. That's nine months uh, and, of doing the job without having the, the training to do it. Exactly. And I, I don't think that that makes anybody happy. I, most people want to be good at their work, and they don't like feeling like they're not going to be doing a good job. So uh, it was hard for her. She, she really enjoyed the training. She said she got a lot out of it. If it could have been you know, a month, eight months earlier, it would have been better for her and everybody. But, I, but that's well, a long way of saying I agree with you. You know, okay. <laughs> well, you know, and it befuddled, you know, I mean, that, and, and here we go, because, you know, wh whoever supervised her made that really bad decision, you know. <laughs> so clearly, you know, they weren't making the best supervisory decisions uh, by, by letting things progress that way. Um, so it just on and on. When, when was it back in the 70s or 60s where they had the Peter Principle thing? Um, you know, oh, where yeah. people... People, what was it? People, people were promoted. They would rise to, to their, their level of incompetence. Yeah, yeah. There they would because stay. And, and in, the, long, in the case, yeah, sorry, as long as they kept doing a good job, they would get promoted to the next level. But there, if they didn't do a good job, which means they couldn't do it, then they wouldn't be promoted anymore. And so there, there they'd be stuck. So they would then be yeah. promoted to their level of incompetence and be working an incompetent. You know, not competently, yeah. at least, in, you know, unless something changed. Um, and it sounds like that 
you know, the phraseology might be old school, but it sounds like it's still a, a thing. Um, it is still a thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. To, and to be fair to the the woman I was talking about, the supervisor training courses at the University of Washington are so full that it's hard to get into any earlier. So I think it's it might be partially a capacity issue with the University of Washington, just having the bandwidth to provide enough training for people. Um, you know, and yeah, but to, to answer your original question, you yeah, not a lot of people get promoted to supervisor like being a supervisor is is no big deal or a manager is no big deal. When it is, it's very important. It has its own skill set, and the better people can be trained, or, or you know, when I when I, I did some teaching years ago, and uh, for college level teaching, there's no training, so to speak. It's not like you need a master's in teaching to be a college-level teacher. I was teaching right. computer science and information systems. So I just imitated my favorite professors from my college, you know, when I was in college. And that got me through until I learned how to be a better a better teacher. Yeah. But what if you had been in Seattle teaching and all of your professors had been in the, the New York guys? You know, I mean, that wouldn't have been such a great way to go about it, would it? Yeah, no, yeah. Um, where I was, I went. I went to school in Tacoma, and I was teaching in Chicago, and then in Georgia. So my my style worked pretty well. It was, yeah, yeah. Well, when when we encounter these things, and and again, it sounds like although we're talking in the workplace, because that we might not have the option of, of you know severing a relationship with a person who uh, annoys us. Um, a, we may have to work with that person and, and figure out how to work with that person because our job depends on it, um, or at least our job review yeah. might depend on it. Um, personally, we can, um, you know, um, put on our big girl pants and say, okay, this isn't working, and I really don't want to be around that person anymore. And I know I've done that a couple times, you know, um, where I thought I was being really nice and my my kids would keep saying, why do you take, you know, why are you doing this? Every time you talk with this person, you're upset afterwards and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and fi- they even stole my cell phone and changed the ring for her number to, the, the, a, funeral, to, a, to a funeral dirge. They, they changed it to a funeral dirge. So every every time she she called, the, the, instead of going ring, ring or whatever, you know, it was going da, 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 you know. Um, and, and you know, after a while, I kind of smartened up and went, yeah, why am I doing this? This is just crazy. I, I think I thought I was being a nice and tolerant person, but mm-hmm. sometimes being nice and tolerant can be just as annoying as anything else. And so you just stop being yeah. so full of yourself and uh, trying to aggrandize yourself and just say, nah, life's too short. <laughs> mm-hmm. Life's too short. Let, let's make it more pleasant than this. <laughs> and, and it yeah. works. And I know... I'm like everybody else. I mean, I just assume that every, you know, my attitudes and my opinions are not that different. But I, we see this politically right now. I'm kind of gobsmacked the last couple of years. Uh, and I don't want to get into a political discussion as such. But what, what gobsmacks me so much is the fact that we have evolved to the point of if you do not agree with me, it's not because your life has been different, your life experiences have led you to make different decisions or lead to you to different conclusions. You know, none, none of that. If you don't agree with me, it's because you are ignorant or you are mean or you mm-hmm. are evil-spirited. You know, I mean, there's none of this sense that 
somebody can just think differently. Yeah. And, and I see that in our interpersonal relationships too. It's like, you know, you can, you can no longer agree to disagree and still be friends. You know, I mean, it's like everybody must agree with me because I have, you know, the, the one and true light here. And if you don't see that my light is the, the bright one, clearly there's something wrong with you. Um, that must, I mean, it, it, to me and in my world, I'm seeing that more and more over the last few years. And I'm thinking, boy, that must, I don't work in a large corporation like a university or anything, but I think, boy, that must make it hideous um, to work in an environment if you happen to not share the same beliefs or politics or whatever um, as, as your coworkers, because people are verbal about it now too. You know, it used to be you didn't talk religion, you didn't talk politics because, if, you know, you didn't want to antagonize somebody who didn't believe the same way. Now, uh-uh. I mean, you know, you just blurt it out, and then if you disagree with me, then you're the odd man out, and there's something wrong with you. That must make this um, idiopathic, I'm going to try and remember this phrase, idiopathic mutual irritation that much more of a problem could be it's you know it's interesting where i'm working now um people don't we tend not to talk politics very much although given that most of us are from seattle uh most of us <laughs> are fairly liberal <laughs> and mo- most actually no that sorry yeah 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 i mean but, but but hey, you know, I mean, I read a survey not too long ago, and there are actually there is a fair-sized component of university professors who profess to be on the conservative side. They just shut up about it. Yes, and actually, that yeah, it can be it can be a useful survival tactic to just to to shut up about something yeah. um, as awful as it can be. Um, and actually, I was I was thinking about the, the people I know who are from Seattle, but in fact, the part of the U that I work from, we have a lot of people from around the U.S. and from around the world, as a matter of fact. And we don't talk about politics much, in part possibly because uh, a good many of us find current politics too depressing. And, <laughs> we, you know, we just don't want to... You know, it might it might be we're being Seattle nice, you know, just being very nice. But um, yeah, when it comes to talking about politics, I was at a, um, a networking meeting about a year ago with a man. I said something like, you know, I think I can make better choices with my money. I'm I'm all against taxation and so forth. And talked for a while. I thought, oh boy. So I just said mildly, well, you know, that's really interesting um, because the way I see it, I pointed to the street. Uh, so, you know, and that, I would rather us pool our money in some way because how else would that street get built and maintained if some entity like the city of Seattle didn't take care of it and, you know, like pooling our money for insurance. And he said maybe one or two more things and then said, nice talking to you and went away. You know, when it was clear that he was far more um, conservative than I am, um, Mm -hmm. he didn't want to continue the conversation. And I have found a lot, especially not long after uh, Trump was elected president, 
I had some good conversations on Facebook where admittedly it's different than in person because in Facebook you can take time, walk away from your keyboard and, and think about how to answer somebody diplomatically. But I had a lot of good conversations with people by saying to them, frankly, uh, I don't agree with your point of view. I feel differently, but I would like to know more about your point of view. I will promise not to, I can't remember how I put it, I would say something, I promise not to to mock you, jeer at you, or insult you. Are you willing to have a conversation on these terms? And most of the time people would say, yeah. And so I would say, tell me what's important to you about the Second Amendment, for example. And they would talk about it. And eventually we would have uh, some civil conversations where I certainly got to know more about someone else's perspective on the world, and they got to know more about my perspective on the world. I don't think any of us changed our each other's minds, but it, it has to be something that people are 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 interested in. I, I actually uh, there was a, in Seattle in a park not far from where I live, the Sunday after the 2016 presidential election, there was a, not a rally, but just a sort of community gathering for people to be together who were gobsmacked, to use your word, at the outcome of the election. And among all of these supporters of Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, whoever, there was one Trump supporter, and I thought he was a very brave man. He was about 30, 32, and he held up a sign and said, I'm a Trump supporter. I will talk with you about it. Or I voted for Trump. I will talk to you about it. Something like that. And people were asking questions, and he was replying until this one man who was easily a foot taller and probably about 80 pounds heavier come up and just started berating him and bullying him and being in his face. And I went over and first tried to tell the bully to go away, but that didn't work. So I just said to the Trump supporter, how you doing? My name's Louise. What's yours? Uh, how you feeling? You feeling okay here? And he said to me, no, I'm feeling intimidated here. I said, well, that sounds perfectly reasonable. So tell me something about Trump. And I just started talking with him and totally ignoring the bully. And I kept on going with this and kept on going with this. And eventually the bully just wouldn't give up. And so I said to some other people, hey, can you join in? Let's make a ring of people around this this Trump supporter, and we did, and the bully kept yelling. He was saying really nasty things, just and just yelling and yelling and yelling. And finally, this really young woman, and the, the bully must have been in his like 50s or 60s, and I was a lot older. This young woman, who may have been 22, said to him, "Oh, go away! You're being a jerk." And so he, he <laughs> oh, kind of go away. <laughs> And then mm. up came Q13 and wanted to interview the Trump supporter, which they did. And then while they were interviewing the bully, the Trump supporter drifted away. And when Q13 finished with the bully, the bully started yelling at me. Well, I wasn't going to have that. So I just <laughs> spoke back to him. You know, I didn't, I, didn't, um, I didn't disagree with him. I didn't argue with him. But I just kept listening until he said, and you know, it's the media's problem. The media gave too much attention to Donald Trump. Well, I happen to agree with that. So I said, you know, I feel exactly the same way. They gave him too much attention, and that helped sway the election. And so we had this kind of conversation, and I kept sort of moderating my tone to voice till I got down a conversational level. He came with me, and at the end he said, huh, you know, maybe I owe that, that guy an apology. And I thought, I didn't say I didn't say anything. What I was thinking was, you think? <laughs> no. Well, you know, we're, so, we're, we're basically selfish beings, and 
not only do we think that everybody else thinks the same way we do, we think that um, we have a right to be in everybody's face. I mean, we just do. Um, like the service dog, that some you know, if this if this is what I want, then by golly, everybody need you know. I, I sometimes am I, when my kids were in public school and so shocked because there would be one child who um, I don't know couldn't do something. So now all of a sudden, the entire school has to not do that. And I'm thinking, uh. well, God, you know what I'm saying? I can't think of a specific example, but it. It's kind of like, really? Really? So everybody has to conform to this one way of being, thinking, eating, whatever. Um, but, what, you know, why can't we just say, okay, people are different, and so you're, you, you can't eat the milk, drink the milk, so, but I can. I, you know, I can eat, you know, kale and you can't. I mean, you know, I mean, why, why do we have mm. to... Just everybody has to be, everybody has to make their rules everybody's rules. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And that, I don't, I don't know what to do about it. That's a kind of, yeah, an, an institutional way of um, possibly, I, I don't, my husband and I don't have kids, so I'm not, Sure, and I have that first-hand experience with that. But there's there's a big difference between someone having a serious peanut allergy and they cannot even accidentally eat a little bit. That's one thing. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, nobody can drink milk because uh, one person is lactose intolerant. That that seems to be a little much. On the other hand, I think we're paying attention to certain things like peanut allergies that have been serious problems all along, but that nobody would do anything about before. Um, yeah. But there's it's something about... Kids Kids have more allergies now. I, I used to do a, a podcast on uh, called Health Talk, and I would interview doctors from around the country on different topics, and I had three different doctors tell me that the reason with from three different specialists, that one of the reasons that we're seeing so many allergies in young people now is because we don't let them get dirty. That their immune yeah. system is geared to fight bad stuff, and if there's no bad stuff to fight, it'll start fighting the stuff that's not so bad. Uh, yeah, that's true. And that that our, uh, you know, when kids eat dirt, I'm sure you ate your share of dirt. I certainly ate my share of oh, dirt yeah. when I was a baby, right? But when you yeah. have that level of dirty this this doesn't come to the level of danger for a child's health but exposing mm-hmm. exposure to allergens helps you build immunity to them and yeah, if we're in exactly. our super clean world we don't um yeah. where we're we growing all the anymore. super because everybody's using the hand sanitizer instead of just an old bar of soap you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're letting all those germs taste the hand sanitizer and, and grow, you know, uh, immune to it. I don't know, different world. Anyway, yeah. let's get back to the workplace. If we find ourselves either in a personal situation or in the workplace where we have this person that just rubs us the wrong way and it's mutual, what do we do? What if there isn't a boss to go complain to? Or what if there is? What do we do if we find that we are a part of that, one of those mutually uh, irritation, ir- irritating um, um, partnerships or coworkers? Yeah, that's a good question. So the first thing I would say is um, no matter how satisfying it might 
people to might, might be to act on your irritation is to try not to because that almost never helps anything. Um, what I what I find helps me, and this is especially if it's somebody I have to work with, then finding my visualization myself as Mount Rainier helps me. I would encourage everybody to find some visualization that can help them at times like this when you can't get away for some reason or you're suddenly startled. You can call to mind, you know, I imagine myself as Mount Rainier and it helps me get through a situation to have time to go think about it and, and figure out how to deal with it really. It just gets me through something. Have that. Yeah. And then another thing, and this is something, oh, well, I have not tried this in exactly the same way, but I remember once saying to this this guy I was project managing during the dot-com era, I, he said, you know, uh, Tom, I get the impression we're not getting along as well as we used to. Is something wrong? And he told me about some things that I had done where I seemed to be favoring other team members besides him, which I hadn't meant to mm. do. And But I realized how he got that impression, and I said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean that. I, w I will watch that from now on. I You might go see, you could probably find a private time to have a private conversation with someone and say, look, you and I don't seem to get along, and I'm sorry about it. And you can say that even if you're not. <laughs> but just, to, just yeah. to, to point out what the issue is and ask them any way that you and, the, you and he or she can work together better. Just agree that maybe you don't like each other, but just find a way to work well together because you do have to work together. And then yeah. another thing that I have, I have used with this, this is, oh, this is so delightful. Here, one thing, <clears throat> you can almost never go wrong with being polite and courteous because if nothing else, everybody else around you, including your supervisor, for example, in HR, will see you as being polite and courteous, which means you're less likely to have negative consequences from within the workplace. So for example, there was this guy I uh, had to work with some years ago, and he worked in a different location, so it was by phone, but he was, oh, he was totally in New York, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I was living in Baltimore at the time. It's very different. So after a couple of really uncomfortable conversations and some very strange emails, I asked myself, how would a conversation go with him if it were polite? What do I consider to be a courteous business conversation? So the next time he called me up, or I called him, him up, I said to, I had to arrange getting a deliverable to him. I said, so okay, so I've got the uh, whatever is the artwork for for this week, ready to go. Uh, I was thinking that I if I got it or, or not quite ready to go. If I got it to you by Thursday at noon, would that be okay? Would that give you enough time? He said, you're incompetent. You don't know what you're doing. You are so stupid. Oh, and all oh. I said was, exactly. I said I was thinking I could send it this time as a JPEG. How would that would that work for you? That's a ridiculous idea. That's absolutely stupid. Okay, well it sounds like that will work. I'll send you it to you as a JPEG at uh, <laughs> noon on Thursday. Is there anything more you need from me? Okay, well thank you so very much. You can look for my email by Thursday. Have a great rest of your day. And in the middle of that, he was saying, "You're irrational. You're a what?" And then he hung up on me. And I was shaking oh. afterwards, but he never spoke that way to me again. Never. He was well, polite. Well, you weren't being just polite. You were using polite words, but you were being deliberately obtuse. 
You were making that guy oh, yeah. insane. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. But nobody who heard my end of the conversation could complain about my behavior because I was being polite and courteous, right? Yeah. And and yeah. he got the idea, and then after that, he was polite and courteous to me on the phone back and by email back. Not long after that, I didn't have to work with him anymore. But, but another thing you can try is, if you know, if you can imagine having a polite conversation and just have that conversation no matter what the other person does, mm-hmm. sometimes they're just so gobsmacked, they don't know what to do about it, and then they'll start to get the idea of how they're behaving, and then they'll start to be more polite themselves. Well, and you know what? I, I have a dear friend. I, I love her desperately. But she believes that everything should be talked out. Everything should be talked out. If there's any disagreement with mm. your daughter-in-law or your son-in-law, you need to talk it out. You need to talk it out. You need to send emails. You need to do it. I don't. I, I grew up in the Midwest. I, I grew up at a cornfield, and we farmers knew that a lot of stuff did not merit talking out because there was going to be no long-term benefits to it. Best to just shut up and move on. And... She and I will every now and then, uh, you know, have a disagreement, and she'll, I'll say, "Well, my son-in-law said this to me, and I don't know how I feel about that. I think, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to get a little upset about that. We'll see what he does down the road, blah blah." And she'll go, "Well, you need to talk with him." No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Because what's going to happen? He's going to be defensive about his position. He's going to perceive me as being pushy, whatever. I'm going to feel hurt that he doesn't care about my, blah blah blah. Just shut up, call your best friend and complain about it, and let the world keep turning on its axis. Nothing is all that inspired important in my view. And I think today we live in a culture where everybody is obliged to listen to my opinion. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't care. You know, <laughs> let's just keep doing what we need to get doing and get it done, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Not everything needs to be talked out, and some people are not – at a stage in their lives where, you know, there have been some people where I've worked with, where I've worked in various places where I've wanted to talk to them about stuff, but I thought, no, they're not at a place in their lives where they can talk about this kind of thing and do anything different. I'll just smile and nod and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, bitch to my friends later on. Yeah. You know, there's there's some virtue in shutting up every now and then, you know, <laughs> not trying yeah. to change everybody else, just... Put your head down, shut up, and get doing what you have to do. You know, I mean, I, I and I think that's because I'm getting old and cantankerous. But I also think there's merit to it. I, I do think we live in a rather self-indulgent time where we feel like, you know, like we were saying about the service dog. You know, if if I believe this way, you have to believe this way, and if you don't, then I need to either convince you or harangue you or, you know, somehow or other, uh, make sure that you do believe the way I believe. And I think it creates a lot of tension that's unnecessary. Um, you know, I, that that's just my personal belief. You're the expert, however. And would yeah. you recommend trying to, if if you are one of these, uh, this pair of, with mutual irritation, idiopathic mutual irritation, would you attempt to dis- converse with the other person? You said that you have used that technique, but you're a professional. Um, <laughs> would you recommend it for those of us who perhaps don't know the right words to use to calm somebody else down? Um, what what would you recommend? Well, you could say, gosh, I found this interesting article. Would you like to read it? I wonder if you and I might be suffering from this. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to workplace, 
pretty much all of us need to keep our jobs. And there are some things we simply have to do from a practical standpoint. Put up with the person who irritates us or deal with the supervisor who hasn't had a chance to be trained yet or whatever. Uh, There are certain things that I think should not be put up with. But ultimately, I think we have to be think about our ourselves, preserve our own financial well-being, uh, support our children, and so forth. And and sometimes you just got to put up with stuff, but there's nothing wrong with the, gosh, I found this article. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, but we also have to say, is this the hill we want to, you know, what is that expression, you know, is this the hill you want to die on? Um, yeah. You know, if if you're going to do confrontation, you know, I, I guess that's the the word that we use, which I don't think everything has to be a confrontation, but, um, you know, whenever it seems that somebody, you know, disagrees, they want to confront the other person. And I think, why, you know, this is not going to turn out well, you know, (laughs) why do you think this is going to be good? Um, So, you know, most of us have other aspects to our lives besides just the workplace. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe you have to cultivate your hobbies. Maybe you have, you know, my, I always use the example of my father who worked in a miserable, horrible job. My father was not a high school graduate. He worked pouring iron, um, molten iron into sand molds. And he did that for decades and it was miserable, horrible. And And yet every day that my father came home with his lunch pail and his, you know, every day there was something good that had happened to him that day, and he would tell us about it every day. Mm. Wow. And I think that there's something to be learned there. You know, just because this person irritates you or that situation is not good for you, that doesn't mean it has to change. doesn't mean it's going to change. Mm-hmm. Maybe what you need to do is to find other areas of your life where things are good and swallow, smile, and keep going um, for the greater good. I don't know. I should I should embroider embroider all that on a pillow, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but but you're you're right. Don't think about what's good. Focus on that as much as you can, and don't ever let as much as you can. Don't let the bad help make you lose sight of the good. Absolutely. Exactly. On on that note, we're going to bring it to a close. Thank you so much, Louise. I had a really good conversation. This was fun uh, to hash out and talk over, and I hope that you'll come on the show again sometime and talk with us again. And thank you for listening to Three Women, Three Ways. Join us again next week. 